Our reading tonight is in 1 Corinthians. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf. We, who are many, are one body. For we all share the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean, then, that food is sacrificed to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. But the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons, too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We're looking at uh, this final section of um, chapters 8 to 11. Let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Our great God and Father, for the last month now, we've been looking at this this block of uh, 1 Corinthians, thinking how best we should use our freedom, how we should make decisions which are honoring to you for the good of your people, for the good of a watching world. And so as we somewhat draw this material together this evening. Would you help us see the wood for the trees, not get bogged down in some of the complex things? But would you help us see what you're saying? And, uh, Father, more than that, would you help us be those who give up our freedom for the sake of others, as your son did? We pray it in his name. Amen. It's funny the things you remember, the sort of things that stand out from your childhood. I remember being about uh, nine or ten years old, and uh, we went to visit my aunt and uncle. Uh, they're in Northampton. Uh, these were the days before the M25 was built. Um, and so uh, driving from where my parents were to Northampton was probably about two and a half hours. Uh, and so we went up on Saturday to see my aunt and uncle. And I was allowed to take my computer with me. 
my ZX Spectrum, if you remember such things. And I was allowed to take it with me because essentially it was very boring, going visit my aunt and uncle, and this was what my uh, allowance. And uh, so you have a little bit of polite conversation, and then uh, the child is allowed to plug in and uh, play his very basic computer games, Jet Set Willy. Anyone remember any of these things? Of course you don't. Um, uh, that was like, the best game you could possibly get. That and anyway, it doesn't matter. But um, uh, and I played again, and uh, fine, and we had a pleasant enough day at uh, Aunt and Uncle's, and came back home. And uh, we got back home. I said, "Oh no, I've left my computer." Well, that was stupid of you, wasn't it? Said my parents. But it's my birthday in two days' time, and and I'd asked for some more games, and I'd asked for a joystick. <laughs> That was pretty avant-garde at the time, but um, I'd ask, and now I, I won't be able to enjoy my birthday. Well, when we said, have you got your computer, and have you got everything, you should have, I know, I know. And uh, had a complete sad on about it. Uh, actually, I just, it's funny the things that stand out in your mind. Uh, the Monday night, when my dad had finished work, he drove two and a half hours to Northampton, grabbed the wretched computer, and uh, drove two and a half hours back, just five hours. I think he had a cup of tea with his sister. That was about the limit of it. And uh, two days later on my birthday, gave me both my computer back and everything else. And it's funny, is it, the things that stick in your mind? And I remember that just because that was a complete pain for my dad. And I knew it. It was entirely my fault. And I just, he was not under any obligation to do that. It was just an act of generosity, um, a kindness to me. And it's one of those funny things that stuck in my head. And uh, as a father now, those moments when your children do something just really stupid. And, you know, when they're small, you're up in the middle of the night because they've done something stupid. Uh, and then at the weekend, you're driving two hours across London to get three miles to a football match. And you're thinking, what a waste of my time. I always think back and think, that's what my dad did for me. That's what it is to be a good dad. And uh, so there's a sense in which I, I look back and think, now that I was modeled that. And I want to imitate it. And that is what Paul is saying to us. When it comes to using your freedom as a Christian, don't insist on doing just whatever you want. Give up your freedom for the sake of others. And in doing so, we get to it eventually, chapter 11, verse 1, Paul is saying, follow my example because I follow the example of Jesus Christ. He was the one above all others who gave up his glory, gave up his freedom for the sake of those who were lost. So give up your freedom, for goodness sake, for the sake of others. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, he'd say. Okay, now as I mentioned, uh, uh, this is the fourth, fifth, I can't lose track of, week in uh, chapters 8 to 10. It's all one block uh, about this issue. How are you going to use your freedom? It starts off um, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. The presenting issue is food and food sacrifice to idols. I don't know if you remember this, uh, but um, in Corinth, the city of Corinth at the time, uh, there were lots of different places where you go to eat, and lots of the uh, the best restaurants, as it were, were attached to shrines dedicated to idols. So you may want to go to Poseidon's temple 
And next to it, or sort of underneath it, there'd be a, a restaurant where you could eat, and that's often where you'd get the meat, because the animals are sacrificed to the gods, and then you go and have a steak uh, uh, underneath, because uh, they've got the meat. And those are the places you'd go to do your business meals. Those are the places you'd go, perhaps as a wedding reception, that sort of thing, to go out for a nice meal. So to avoid these things altogether, well, it's quite awkward. But for Corinth, some Christians were saying, well, we can't go there. You can't eat meat that's been sacrificed to Poseidon or Zeus. And other Christians will say, yeah, that's fine. It's no problem with that at all. And this was causing a, uh, a hoo-ha. Uh, and that's the background to what's going on. Two points, just two. And uh, then we're going to try and draw it together with three questions. Uh, now, just some of the one or two of the things here are a little complicated, but the three questions are hopefully going to ground it very practically in what, therefore, you and I should do if we're Christian believers. So two points. Don't provoke the Lord to jealousy, verses 14 to 22. And then second, don't seek your good, but that of others, 23 to 30. Okay, verses 14 to 22. Don't provoke the Lord to jealousy. Now just so you know, we're heading towards verse 22, right at the bottom of the page, 1151. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So before we work through the text, let me just deal with that as an issue. Because some people find that a bit confusing. God being jealous. Because isn't jealousy a bad thing? I mean, isn't that unworthy of God to be jealous? No. As long as you recognize that God is not jealous of you in any sense he's jealous for you because he cares for you oh, it's a few years back now do you ever say anyone see the film indecent proposal slightly odd film really uh childhood sweethoods uh, woody harrelson demi moore uh they're they're very much in love and they're a married couple and they've bought this plot of land and they've got a daydream about building this amazing house one's an architect can't remember which and they're going to build this amazing house but they've got no cash uh, and so lacking cash, but having a dream, they do the obvious thing. They go to Vegas to gamble, obviously. Um, but um, that doesn't go so well, and they lose money. So what happens is uh, Robert Redford comes along as the multimillionaire and says to Woody Harrison, I'll give you a million dollars if you let me sleep with your wife one night. And, no, 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 no. And then they sort of, they both say no, and then they... Woody Harrison, Demi Moore, they go away and they sort of have sleepless nights thinking, oh, a million dollars, that's quite a lot. I mean, this is probably at least 12 years old, the film. A uh, million dollars is quite a lot. I mean, we could build our house with a million dollars. So eventually they say, go on then. And she goes off and sleeps with Robert Redford uh, and then comes back. But the marriage is just broken at that point. All of a sudden, their love for one another, their affection for one another, they just... Mm, doesn't work. And she starts to think, what, what sort of husband are you that would let me sleep with another man just for money? Uh, and he sort of, well, our intimacy isn't the same anymore because you've been with another guy and it just doesn't work between them. And so eventually she goes off with uh, Robert Redford. It's a thoroughly miserable film. Uh, so let me recommend that. To miss, to miss that one. Uh, you don't need to watch it anymore. There you go, there's the plot. Um, and at that point, you think, yeah, yeah, you should have been more jealous for your wife. 
You shouldn't have allowed her to go off and sleep with another guy. You shouldn't have let that happen. You should have been jealous for her. And God is a God who is jealous for his people. He loves his people and doesn't want them going off and harming themselves with other idols and other gods. He's jealous for you, not of you in any sense. His jealousy is a sign of his commitment, his love, his passion. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. That's where we're going. Okay, so the issue then, the presenting issue in, uh, in Corinth is this meat and drink. Let me read from verse 14 of chapter 10. Therefore, dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Okay. And what is he going to say? Oh, just by summary, before we jump in, he's going to say this. If you participate in a meal where the Lord, Jesus, is invoked, or where any other God is invoked, if you participate in that meal, you participate with that God. So if you sit around for a meal with a, a, a bunch of Christians and they say, Lord Jesus, you've given us all that we need in this life. You've provided this food. Lord Jesus, we praise you. You're, you're not just having a meal with friends. There's a participation. It's as if you're sharing the meal. Jesus is the host who's provided. And if you sit around and have a meal with a bunch of people who say, oh, Poseidon, you have provided all this food and we eat it in honour of you, Poseidon. You're, you're not just having a meal with friends. You're, in a sense, participating, having fellowship with Poseidon. That's what he's going to say. Okay? If you have a meal and a God's name is invoked, you are fellowshipping. Ooh. Fellowshipping, that's not a word, that's why I can't say it. Don't try and say words that aren't real words. You're participating in having fellowship with that God. Okay, so let's, uh, let's take a couple of examples, he says. Let's think about the Lord's Supper. Verse 16. Is not the cup of thanksgiving, for which we give thanks, a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one loaf, we who are many are one body. We all share the one loaf. Let's think about the Lord's Supper, he says, and he'll come and say much more about this in chapter 11. But let's think about the Lord's Supper. When you have bread and wine, you participate. That is, you have fellowship. It's that biblical New Testament word, coin and ear. You fellowship with God. You fellowship in the body of Christ. You fellowship in the blood of Christ. Now, let me be clear that there is, we're not having the Lord's Supper tonight, actually, but there is nothing magical about that. The bread and the wine are quite commonly bought at Tesco's on Curzon Street. There is nothing magical about that Tesco's. Their bread is mediocre. It's fair to say. There's nothing magical about that. But in God's wisdom, he has tied the work of his spirit to that sign of bread and wine. So that when we do the very simple thing of eating bread and wine in the Lord's Supper, remembering his death, we're not just eating and drinking little bit. We are having our faith encouraged. That's why in classic 
helpful Anglican liturgy. They'll say, receive the, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, given for you his blood which is shed for you, eat and drink and remembrance that Christ died for you, and feed on him in your hearts, not your mouth. What your mouth is doing is pretty irrelevant. Feed on him in your hearts by faith. You've got to only makes any difference to you if you're a Christian with thanksgiving. And God has just arranged it that way. Why has he done that? I don't know. Ask him when you see him. But that's how he has arranged the Lord's Supper, the the work of his spirit. He's tied somewhat in this occasion to that sign. So look, Christians are always united to Jesus Christ by faith. That's a definition of being a Christian. But when we share the Lord's Supper, we feed on him. That is, we receive the benefits of Christ's work upon the cross in a fresh experiential way. Our faith is stirred. Our faith is encouraged when we share the Lord's Supper. Well, the details aren't actually spelt out in the New Testament. But just when we share that meal, there is an intense sharing at that moment by faith by the Spirit, in Christ. So when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we participate in the benefits of the cross and the resurrection in a way which is more affecting to us. There's an intensity of fellowship with Christ at that moment, that sort of thing. And what else is going on? Well, verse 17, everyone present is declaring their unity in the same activity. Okay, So when you share the Lord's Supper, it's not just your nibbling on bread and nibbling on drinking a little bit of wine. You are having fellowship intensely with Christ at that moment. Okay. Then he's going to go on to apply it to the eating of meat and in Corinth. Verse 19. Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything? Or that an idol is anything. Eating a steak that's been offered to Poseidon is neither here nor there. Because there is no Poseidon. He just doesn't exist. He's just made up. You might as well eat a meat and you may as well eat a steak dedicated to Mickey Mouse. It's just made up. Okay? But, verse 20, the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons. Not to God. And I don't want you to be participants with demons. Okay. That's not something we talk about very much in the West. Let's be honest. That's a bit weird to our ears. Now, we are unusual in the world. If you go to Africa, if you go to South America, if you go to the Far East, there's far greater acceptance of the supernatural realm, far greater acceptance of demonic activity. We don't think about it much in the West. That's true. But you see what he's saying? Uh, Zeus, Poseidon, they're all made-up gods. Allah, Krishna, they're made-up gods. They're not real. It's let's pretend, Paul would say. And yet, lying behind those stories, there is supernatural, demonic activity. And so when you worship these pretend gods, you are fellowshipping with, well, with, with the devil, with demons, Paul is saying. Oh, 
Oh, right. Now, I know there's a bit of this just thinks, what? But that is the culture in which we're raised. And it's unusual on a global scale. His conclusion is verse 21. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You just cannot. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. You cannot. Don't do that. You can't be a Christian who has a meal and says, Lord Jesus, we're so thankful you provide all that we, ha- we require and need. You're such a good God. And then go next door and say, oh, Poseidon, you're such a great God who provides all we need. You can't do that. You will make the Lord jealous. Don't do that. And most are thinking, I'm not that tempted to do that. I don't know where Poseidon's Grill is in London. Is that in Labrook Grove? I'm not entirely sure. I know it's somewhere around, under the arches. There. No. But it does take place. So some will remember last year, the vicar of St. John's Church in Waterloo invited uh, on a Friday Muslims to have their Friday prayers in his church and prayed with them. And at the end, read Psalm 139, how wonderful it is that all of us gathered together worship the same God, Allah. You can't do that, says Paul. You cannot do that. Because one, what's that doing? Verse 22 are you just trying to raise, oh, excuse me, are you just trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? He hates that. Don't do that. Do not do that, Paul says. Okay, I kind of just about got it. So what? I think it means so what? Christians cannot engage in any activity where the name of another God is invoked. And you're perceived as celebrating that. And maybe we've never taken it very seriously. But don't arouse the Lord's jealousy. Look, it becomes hard and awkward if a a Christian is invited to a friend's wedding and they're a Hindu. Can you go? Well, of course, in one sense, you can easily say, oh, look, but I know those gods aren't true. I know there is no Shiva, there is no Krishna, etc. Yes, but according to this, you're participating in demonic activity which provokes the Lord you can't do it because of that sort of wedding there will be prayers to Vishnu, to Brahma, etc, etc you can't do it what about ancestor worship which is a real issue for some here when you go back to your countries of origin you can easily say look I'm not really doing anything, I know know, my family is gathered and says they're praying to great great grandfather but we're not you know i know that's not really taking place well here accordingly paul would say now you're provoking the lord to anger you can't do it you might as well just be a married man inviting someone else into your marital bed and say you don't mind you don't mind do you mrs wife if i just invite another or maybe three people is that all right just to sleep with us no they would mind Don't do that. Don't provoke the Lord to jealousy. Secondly, more straightforwardly. Maybe that's why the verses weren't read. Maybe we should have just missed it all out. Secondly, more straightforwardly, verses 23 to 30. Don't seek your own good, but the good of others. Let's be more straightforward. Just over the page. So the Corinthians are saying, I have the right to do anything you say. 
But, says Paul, not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, say the Corinthians, but not everything is constructive. And here's the key principle, verse 24. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And Paul works that through in three relevant issues for them in their uh, scenario of the meat being sold. So again, remember we said culturally, to go and attend a dinner where there's plenty of meat, that's a bit of a celebration. These are key to establishing your social network, your political networks that you need for your advancement. This is your boss saying, come and have dinner with me. And you say, well, I can't go there. So it's awkward. There is an awkwardness. So let's look at some of the issues that are being raised in Corinth, and then we can make sense of them for today. So here's the first, verse 25. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That is within it. That's not as everyone around me says and my son says, in it. Are we going to watch, should we watch the rugby? In it. It is not meaning that. Uh, that's just what uh, uh, teenagers say. Um, what's the issue there? Verse 25. Oh, your favorite butcher happens to be in the market and sells the best meat. Now, you know he sources it from the Temple of Poseidon, because they always get the best meat at the Temple of Poseidon. Possibly the meat was offered to Poseidon first. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's just not an issue. Great. Eat your meat from the market. Uh, Second little scenario, verse 27. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. Well, that's quite straightforward. You think to yourself, oh, I'm going to Marcus's house. He, He always goes to Poseidon. And buys the meat there. It's probably being offered to an idol. Don't worry about it. Just for goodness sake. Just don't get too upset, says Paul. But, verse 28, third little example. Verse 28 is different. If someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, do not eat it. Both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. Now, so someone says to you, oh, I bought this meat at Poseidon. You're in, what is the point? Of, we'll get there. Someone says to you, I bought this meat at Poseidon's. And uh, before we eat, let's all pray to Poseidon together and say, thank you that you are the God of all meat. At that point, you say, oh, no, I'm, I can't do that. I can't do that. Okay. You can't do it. Why? Because of conscience, the other person's conscience. Because if... There's someone, you know, in this gathering and there's a, a gang from work and uh, one of them, they, they, you're known as a Christian. And they say, oh, why don't you have, you know, let's all celebrate Poseidon. And you go, uh, 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 okay. One of them turns around and says, well, you're a hypocrite. You're meant to be a Christian. And yet if it's a bit awkward in front of the boss, your Christian, your Christianity doesn't mean anything to you. You just throw your Christianity out the window if it's awkward. Then you're not helping them. That's Paul's point. Three questions. Okay, let's try and pull it all together. This whole uh, section in chapters 8 to 10, three questions. Uh, They're there on the sheet. Just in general, in decision making, here are three questions you want to ask. Am I doing something? Is this idolatry that will make God jealous? Second, will this cause others to stumble? Third, Will this hinder sharing the gospel with someone who's not a Christian? Let me just try and ground this in a few. Let me give you four, if we've got time. Four case studies. One. Someone says to you, do you know at KFC, your favorite restaurant, at KFC, 
the colonel, all his meat is halal. It's all, it's all killed in a halal fashion to make it acceptable to Muslims. What should you do? Is there any problem with that? Is it idolatry that's going to make the Lord jealous? No, it is not. No, it is not. KFC, you know, they're not doing it in a way, they, they couldn't care less. Second, is there any problem with going to the house of a Muslim friend for dinner where he serves you KFC? That's a pretty cheap meal, but there we go. No, there is not. No, there is not. Third, the host says to you, when we eat this food, we think we're worshipping Allah. At that point, you say, well, I better not eat it then. Okay? Easy example. Easy example, I think. Let's get a bit more nuance. Horse racing. Second example. Most Christians think that gambling on the horses is wrong. Most would think that. It's a refusal to trust in God's providence. It's motivated by false hope. It's a waste of money. It's a system which generally penalizes the poorest in society and so on. Most Christians would hold some. But a Christian with a strong conscience comes along and says, oh, come on. Come on. I go to the horses twice a year. It's cheaper than going to watch Chelsea play football and certainly cheaper than Arsenal. It's cheap. <laughs> it's, you know, it's just, I don't get obsessed. You go to the opera for goodness sake. That's miles more expensive than going to Cheltenham for two days. It's fine. I am not a gambler by, it's fine. Just get a grip. It's just a fun activity. And many would say, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. But hold on a minute. In the office, your boss says to you, can you take some clients on a, a jolly, client jolly to the horse races? You think, yeah, of course, it's fine. There's no problem with that. And uh, the boss says, you know, make sure, you know, you, you know, you'll have a good gamble. Here's a bit of money, you know, so you don't lose your own. Oh, you're much. Uh, and have a gamble and everyone have a good time uh, gambling on the GGs. And you think, yeah, fine, no problem with that. But then a colleague says to you, but hold on a minute, you're a Christian, aren't you? I didn't think Christians liked gambling. I didn't think Christians were meant to do that sort of thing. And in fact, I've never known you gamble. But now the boss says, do it. You'll do it for him, just to advance your career. Well, how feeble are your Christian convictions? Oh, now, what do you do in that sort of scenario? You may choose not to. You may well choose not to. What about if there's another colleague who is a Christian and was addicted to gambling? And if he sees you having a gamble, he might think, oh, I'll go back to my old way of life. And it could destroy him. Well, don't do that. Oh, it's all getting a bit more complicated, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's other person-centered. These are the three questions. Is it idolatry? Will it cause others to stumble? Will it hinder others? Third little example. A few years back, uh, my wife, Kerry, commented um, uh, she was doing some postnatal yoga and uh, this happened to come up in a conversation with some Christians who went, ah, ah, yoga, yoga, yoga is of the devil. Uh, and uh, no Christian should do yoga. Do you not know when you're doing yoga? Paul says you mustn't do that, 1 Corinthians 10. You're, you're participating with demons. Really? What do you do? That scenario. Well, she did, next time she went to the yoga class, asked the instructor, what do you think we're doing when we do this yoga class? Uh, stretching? <laughs> Do you think there's anything religious about it? Nope. 
then it's fine. I really don't think there's a problem with uh, Christians doing that sort of thing. If the instructor says, oh, yes, by doing this, we are becoming one with uh, Vashnu, and uh, that's what we're doing and worshipping him, you might want to find another teacher. That would be a sensible thing to do that. Okay, so it's unlikely to be idolatry, although it might be. Will it cause others to stumble? Well, only if there's someone in the class who was a Christian converted out of a background where yoga was used to worship other So it's pretty unlikely. I think. What about if someone in the class says, you're a Christian. Why are you in this class? I come to this class to worship Hindu gods. Why are you here? That's a bit awkward. But at that point you might want to stop or you'd certainly have a conversation. These sort of things. Last little case study. Uh, Drinking. Drinking, going out and having a few beers, wines, lagers, spirits, whatever your tipple may be. Is it idolatry? Unlikely. Unlikely. Because I think in this scenario, for it to be idolatry, you'd have to have the name of a god invoked. And all right, the odd rugby club might go, Odin, but I'm not sure they're really, really worshipping the Norse gods as such. Is it going to cause another to stumble? It might do. Now, there are some here at church who have had issues with alcohol in the past. How are they doing? Actually, are we making life hard for them? Come to a gin tasting night. Is that insensitive? Well, you need to know how they're doing, at least, probably, and have a conversation with them. We're all going to the pub now. Well, he's not, because he can't without drinking. So you might want to think, how that one runs. It might cause someone to stumble. Is it going to hinder the gospel? Uh, Is it going to cause someone who's not a Christian to think badly of Jesus? Well, it's mixed on that one, isn't it? So Christian A would say, look, I just want to show that Christians aren't weird. They can go for a drink and have a good time, and I just want to show that. And that's commendable. Christian B says, well, we need to just model distinctiveness here. You need to have a level at which you set moderation. And, well, there's something commendable about that too. I guess the question is, do you even ask the question? Just a little personal anecdote, why this one matters to me. Uh, I went to university. I was not a Christian. I had not been brought up in a Christian family. I may have met a Christian, but I'd run the other way if I noticed. I had no background at all. Uh, on a Wednesday, as uh, many of you will know, Wednesday is sports afternoon, and you'll play your sports, whatever it is, your rugby, your hockey, etc., etc., of a Wednesday afternoon. And then certainly when I was at university, at 7 o'clock, every sports team went to the same bar, massive bar, the OVT, and um, uh, at 7 o'clock, you lined up, and every member of every sports team would do five pints in five minutes to get the night going. That's what you did. Now, I observed, uh, after a while, one lad who didn't. His name was Seb. And he said, do you know what, as a Christian, I'm not content to do five pints in five minutes because I get a little bit wibbly, uh, five pints in five minutes, as does everyone else, uh, if you consume that amount in that amount of time. And But, of course, others, oh, you're a Christian, oh, 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 oh. 
and uh, well, you can't join in, you're not really part of the team, we don't like you. It was that sort of, he was taking a bit of abuse. So what he did, he would arrive every Wednesday night at seven o'clock, and he'd line up his five pints, and eventually everyone watching, everyone cheering, he kick-started the night every week, because he would go one over his head, two, three, four, five, and he'd pour them over his head. Uh, and everyone go, and I observed that and thought, what on earth is he doing? (laughs) Why on earth is he doing that? That's odd. And so eventually, uh, he was a hockey player, I wasn't, so he didn't really talk to them. Uh, But eventually, I did talk to him, I said, why, sorry, you're, yeah, okay. Why do you do that? I mean, it's quite fun, and it sort of kick-starts the evening. Why do you do that? Oh, well, as a Christian, I don't want to get drunk. But, uh, you know, I don't want to be square and boring either. And Oh, okay. And eventually, after a few more conversations, you know, ten months later, he led me to Christ. And he was the man who gave me a gospel and caused me to become a Christian, humanly speaking. Because he'd understood somewhat of this. And thought, I'm not going to cause anyone to stumble here. And to be honest, a number of the Christians observed this and thought, oh, you really shouldn't do that. You really shouldn't do that. Well, get a grip, I think. He wasn't getting drunk. He was just getting wet. (laughs) Nothing sinful about that at all. But for me, I looked on and thought, as a Christian, you're not willing you, you, you make yourself awkward. You're so concerned to honour your God that you won't just blend in. That's interesting. Will you tell me a bit more? So the conclusion of it all is uh, these verses in uh, 31 to the end. These are the three questions. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Is this in any sense an idolatry that will make God jealous? Second, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks or the church of God. Will this cause anyone to stumble? Even as I try to please everyone in every way, I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. Will my activity here, in any sense, hinder sharing the gospel with someone who doesn't know Christ? And you know what? If you get confused, says Paul, chapter 11, verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. What does he do? He gives up his freedom for the sake of others. And we need to imitate him. And the way you imitate someone is is you observe them and you dwell on what they've done. And when I'm struggling to be kind in my household as a dad, I think, no, my dad was a good role model and I want to imitate him. And when I'm struggling to give up stuff, give up my comfort, go without what I want to do for the sake of others who are Christians, for the sake of the Lord's honor, for the sake of someone who doesn't yet know Jesus and how wonderful he is, I think to myself, I need to imitate Paul as he imitated Christ, who, although being nature God, made himself nothing, took on the nature of a servant, 
humbled himself to become a man, humbled himself to death, gave up his freedom, gave up his glory for me. And Paul says, be like that. You've got so much freedom in the Christian life, but when it comes to making decisions, what's going to drive them? Me, 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 me? Or others? Be like Christ, he says. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Father God, again, we ask, there are one or two complicated things here. Would we not be confused by them, but would we see with clarity the sort of questions we need to be asking in the Christian life of how we live, uh, motivated not just by our own selfish desires and doing whatever we want, but motivated by the good of others. Father, when we come to exercise our freedom, when others perhaps are uncertain what we're doing, others would view it differently, would we just at least ask these questions so that we are those who honor you, give glory to you, and love others? We pray that we will be like Jesus in this. In his name we pray. Amen.